Welcome to Sanity, a podcast to help you keep yours in today's divisive political climate. I'm your host, Audrey Scagnelli, and I hope you'll join me in this quest for optimism in a post-2016 world. For our 10th episode, I'm joined by Jonathan Perman. He is the brainchild behind the American Congressional Exchange, ACE. It's essentially a program that pairs Republicans and Democrats in Congress and facilitates trips to each other's districts, essentially trying to create more trust and relationships across the aisle in an effort to incrementally reduce gridlock that has really taken over Washington. This month, they're celebrating their one-year anniversary and have more than 20 trips slated for the year ahead. So Jonathan, I am really excited to talk with you today about the American Congressional Exchange and how this idea turned into reality. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to, to be here and to talk with you. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you've used those experiences to bring this program to life? Well, I'm a public policy guy. I've spent most of my career in that space. I started my career actually on Capitol Hill. I worked for three years for a U.S. Senate subcommittee that doesn't exist anymore because all the names have been changed. And then went into the world of Chambers of Commerce, where I spent about 20 years and now run a public affairs practice out of Chicago. But my experience working on Capitol Hill in the mid and late 1980s was a lot different than I suspect most people's experiences today. First of all, I worked on a a Senate subcommittee that was chaired by one of the last of the Rockefeller Republicans, a guy named Charles Percy from Illinois. And I was actually a Democrat working on a Republican chairman staff, which back then, while that wasn't typical, it also wasn't unusual. There were bipartisan staffs, and our subcommittee staff was an example of that. Today, that would be almost unheard of. You had people from both sides of the aisle, at least at the staff level, who were working together on a daily basis and trying to hammer out policy and introduce legislation and come up with solutions to solve some of the more intractable problems that our nation was facing at that time. experience I also had in in working in chambers of commerce, both in New Haven, Connecticut, and in Evanston, Illinois, which is my hometown, also showed me what what the value is and what the advantages are of bringing people together from different sectors, in this case, the Chamber of Commerce, sort of at the focal point of the public and private sector, and provided forums and venues for people to also work on, in this case, more local and regional kinds of public policy and business policy issues. What it really showed me was that more often than not, real public and civic accomplishment began with quiet conversations among among people, people who trust each other and people who build relationships. And it's sort of you know human nature that the social connections and seeing and building those relationships that really result in getting things done. So as I moved on in, in my career, I had continued to have a strong connection and relationships with people in Washington. And you know, over the last several years, like many people, I got very despondent about what had happened to our legislative branch of government. And so I decided I wanted to do something about it. 
and I looked at people and organizations that were doing reform efforts. This is going back to, say, 2015, 2016. And I looked at that world in three buckets. There were groups and organizations and people that were working on the gerrymandering issue, redistricting. There was another group focused on the money in politics based off of Citizen United and what could be done to reduce the influence of money in politics. There's a third group of people and organizations whose attention was focused on culture of Congress and the operations and functionality or dysfunctionality as it may be. And I decided that the first two buckets were probably going to be very long-term plays that may not change until we get a, a major difference in the makeup of the Supreme Court. But the third bucket, I thought, well, that's something that perhaps I could really have an impact on. And so I came up with this idea that I called the American Congressional Exchange. And the idea is actually, on the face of it, quite simple. It's to get members of Congress who want to participate to agree to spend one weekend a year in another member's district of the opposite party, someone who's different from them culturally, politically, geographically. And from that shared experience, hopefully come away with a new constructive relationship. I've done a fair amount of traveling with people who are not necessarily close relations of mine, but in some cases people are just who I've met along the way or bringing together people from different parts of my life. And one of the things that I've found is that when people travel together, when they're seeing things and observing and learning together in a place that is out of their natural surrounding or we're generally familiar with, a real bond develops very quickly. And so I thought if I could apply those kinds of experiences with travel to politics, which happen to be my two greatest passions, travel and politics, perhaps there's something that we, that we could do here to change and advance things in the way that our United States Congress works. So many of us can relate to those frustrations. And what is inspiring about the American Congressional Exchange is you turned your frustration into positive action. Can you tell us a little bit about what the timeline was like how long it took you to get ACE off the ground? So this is um, maybe summer, summer, fall of 2016. The first thing I decided I needed to do about the American Congressional Exchange was vet the idea. Because, well, Jonathan Perman thought it was a terrific idea. What other people think it is? And so I went to Washington and I started meeting with thought leaders and journalists and uh, members of Congress and former members of Congress and their staff. And lo and behold, Everybody that I spoke with said, this is a pretty cool idea. You should really try to advance this. So the next step was, okay, that's great. So what do I do? Do I start my own 501c3 and get a board of directors and try to raise money? And I thought, that's going to take a, a long time. By the way, everyone had said, if you're going to do this, you've got to do it quickly because we really need this now. And so I started to talk to a, a couple different think tanks. Early on, had a conversation with the Bipartisan Policy Center. Bipartisan Policy Center, for those who don't know, was established about 12 years ago by four former U.S. Senate majority leaders, two Republicans, two Democrats, Bob Dole, the late Howard Baker of Tennessee, George Mitchell of Maine, and Tom Daschle of South Dakota. Their idea was to try to bring together, 12 years ago, former members of Congress along and bring them together with current members of Congress and base those conversations on very rigorous research and try to reconcile competing interests and try to bring together highly interested advocates, policy experts to come up with politically viable consensus solutions. I think 
working with an established organization like the Bipartisan Policy Center really has elevated this and has made made it possible to just go from zero to 60 very quickly. Right, and because what I needed what was an organization that had some infrastructure, resources, and, and reputation. And so the marriage uh, between myself and this idea and BPC has just been terrific, um, better than I ever had imagined. So we spent a good part of 2017 putting the pieces together, raising some money, putting a structure uh, around the, the idea, and going out and talking to mainly chiefs of staff of members of Congress and trying to line up trips. In January of 2018, we launched the first trip, and that was Jack Bergman, who was a freshman at that time, a Republican from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, one of the largest districts, second largest district east of the Mississippi River. And he came down to Orlando to meet with Stephanie Murphy, also a freshman, who represents sort of an urban, suburban district of Orlando. She's the first Vietnamese American woman ever elected to Congress, a moderate Democrat. The two of them instantly hit it off. Turns out that they both had some common but different Vietnam experiences. Jack Bergman is a retired three-star Marine general, and he flew medic helicopters in the Vietnam War. Stephanie Murphy escaped from Vietnam with her family when she was six months old as part of the boat people that left after Saigon fell, only to be picked up at sea um, in a life raft by a U.S. Navy ship. And so they owe their life to that heroic effort. Fast forward 40 some years later, and now you have these two people with common but very different Vietnam experiences telling their story at a dinner that we had to kick off their American congressional exchange. And by the time they each got finished telling their stories, me and my other counterpart at the Bipartisan Policy Center, we were pinching ourselves. When they got finished, I said, stop. I said, this is unbelievable. <laughs> Only in America did you have a story of two people with very different but common Vietnam experiences now serving in the Congress together, by the way, of different generations. He's old enough to be her father and collaborating and talking about what they can do together. So we knew right from the outset that we had something pretty special. That trip in, in Orlando involved a number of meetings with people in the, it's called the simulation industry. You know, when Universal Studios and Disney built their theme parks in Orlando, all of these businesses and entertainment and health and military affairs came to feed off of the animatronics and other technologies. So we talked with a number of businesses and the Central Florida Research Park, veterans groups, and it just was a, a wonderful weekend. I've shared with you that I used to work on Capitol Hill for Congresswoman Kathy McMorris-Rogers, who represents Spokane, Washington, and Fairchild Air Force Base. And she is the co-chair of a bipartisan military family caucus with a congressman from Georgia, Stanford Bishop. One of the things that really left an impression on me on my time on the Hill was working with Congressman Bishop's office and with counterparts in our office to host a military family summit. That year's was on Fairchild Air Force Base in my boss's district. Years prior, it had been in Congressman Bishop's district at Fort Benning in Georgia. Working across the aisle on the staff level and getting to know people that were working in his office really had a huge impact. And the same goes for the relationship between 
Congresswoman McMorris Rogers and, and Congressman Bishop. I mean, seeing, traveling to each other's districts and meeting with active duty and veterans in each respective district has had a lasting effect and has actually led to more bipartisan collaboration in the, the military and veteran advocacy space. I think that what ACE is doing is that kind of spirit, but at a larger scale. How did you convince the very first members to do this? Because starting anything new does, does require a little bit of a leap of faith and a buy-in. You're right, somebody has to be the guinea pig. Just through some connections that we had, we already had some established a relationship with Congresswoman uh, Murphy's office and Congressman Bergman's. They're now sophomores, but they were both freshman members of Congress. Um, and so we sometimes joke and say they, they weren't jaded yet. And I don't think they are at all now either. And just had the personalities and the interests when they were first coming to Congress that suggested that they were not necessarily going to always want to play by, by the rules. And they didn't deal, I, I don't think, that they were going to be pulled always by leadership. So instead, they were going to carve their own independent paths in the way they went about this new job of being a member of Congress. And so that those kinds of personality traits and those kinds of attitudes lent themselves to identifying them as good candidates to participate early on in the congressional exchange. I know that it's only one year in and that you're ramping up for the year ahead, but what kind of efforts have you made or have you seen that keep the kinds of bonds that are formed during these weekend-long trips alive and impactful in the day-to-day? Once ACE does its part, coordinating the trip, then what are some of the lasting effects that you've seen or hope to see? No, that's an important question. And, and, And what we don't want is for ACE to simply be getting members together to take trips. Um, That's an important feature of of it, but it's not the only one. Once they come back, we are working generally with the the chief of staff or the legislative director of each member who went on the trip to find common areas where they want to participate. In fact, what really happens is by the time two members have spent 36 to 48 hours together, which is generally the average length of, of a trip, by the end of it, they've already created, in part without with our help, a little list of things that they want to do together when they get back to Washington. Then incumbent upon us at the Bipartisan Policy Center to make sure that that happens. Let me give you an example. Again, taking the first trip, uh, Jack Bergman and Stephanie Murphy, five weeks later, they got together and introduced legislation that would provide, it's called the Battle Act, and the idea was to provide some additional support and education and workforce training for veterans who are transitioning back to civilian life after their military service. That uh, turned out to become an amendment that was then part of the National Defense Authorization Act that was approved and signed by President Trump late last summer. Stephanie Murphy, in her floor statement in the House, said that but for the trip that she took with Jack Bergman, the two of them never would have gotten together and co-sponsored this legislation. So we were very proud of that and want to continue to look for other kinds of opportunities um, like that. With the Bipartisan Policy Center having recognized experts in a number of different policy areas, ranging from energy and health to immigration and defense, it offers an opportunity for us to go back to those policy experts now that a relationship is, new relationship has been built in Congress and find things that they're working on that they, we can introduce to the members. One thing that you have shared with me in the past is that you've seen interest not just from 
moderate members of Congress, but also those who are further to the right and further to the left. It's not what I would have expected given our climate. This is a good thing, the thing that we need more of, but why do you think that there has been a range of interest? One of the things that I'm lucky to be able to do is to go on these trips with the members. So I've really observed a lot of the study of, of human nature. And, you know, what you find is that despite some of the rhetoric that comes out through social media or through their own statements when they're in public, for the most part, these are all people that really want to do the right thing. They've come here for patriotic reasons because they have a good deal of expertise and background in their own careers that they can now lend to the public sector. And they really want to try to get a lot accomplished. And I think they realize very quickly that you can't do that just on your own. It's a body of 435 members that requires coalition building. And really, the mathematics are such that if you want to get anything significant done, you've got to build a lot of support around you. It becomes quickly evident, I think, for them as they take these trips, that the basis for those relationships is trust. And you build trust by spending time with somebody and trying to develop a, a friendship around your common interests. So despite what differences you might have politically. I mean, it turns out if you, you look at the voting records of some of the members that have taken these trips together, for example, Virginia Bach from North Carolina, Winston-Salem, Blue Ridge Mountains, pretty conservative Republican, and she was paired with Susan Davis, a progressive Democrat from San Diego. Davis came out to visit Virginia Fox. They both sit on the Education and Workforce Committee. They visited three higher education institutions in Winston-Salem. We went to, to Winston-Salem State University, which is an historically black university. We went to the North Carolina School uh, for the Arts, which is a professional training ground for theater and dance and animation and music, and then to the Wake Forest Medical School and Biological Sciences Campus, so three different kinds of higher education institutions, none of which Susan Davis ever seen before. Talking with the leaders of those schools and talking to some of the students, they really uh, both learned a great deal. And now Virginia Fox, next month, is going to go and visit Susan Davis in San Diego. You know, one of the things, Audrey, I should tell you is how do we make the parent? How do we put two people together? And the answer is we've developed over the last year or so a pretty long list of maybe 150 or so members of Congress, plus a whole crop of, of new freshmen that have just been elected. People who have demonstrated through their membership on, on different bipartisan caucuses, through statements they've made in their campaign or just while they're in, in Congress by actions that they've taken, such as signing the civility pledge that was established shortly after Congressman Steve Scalise was shot on a uh, baseball field in Virginia, or you know other kinds of actions that they've, they've taken. And so they've demonstrated that they're interested in bipartisanship. And so what we then do is we'll go to one of those members and we'll start talking to them and to their staff about the program. And we'll ask them this simple question. Who is it on the other side of the aisle that you would like to get to know better, but for whatever reason, you just haven't been able to build that connection? And usually when you pose it that way, they have two or three people in mind almost immediately. And then we'll go to the people that they have identified on the other side of the aisle and say, so-and-so congressman or woman wants to pair with you. And then once they agreement has been made. The second step is to determine who's going to be the traveler and who's going to be the host. And then the third step, which is the most difficult, is finding available dates when they both can go. 
because as I said, we, we need about 48 hours or so of their time. And then once they've taken the trip, our hope is that if the date works, as, as we joke, that there will be a reciprocal trip. So if member A goes to visit member B, the hope is that member B will then visit member A, and that's actually turning out to be the case in all of the trips that we're doing. So a number of the trips in 2019 will be what we call reciprocal mm-hmm. trips. Is there something that has changed your perspective? Do you have a specific example of kind of going through this, something that's just opened your eyes or, or has made you think differently about a preconceived notion? I think you realize that going to someone's district and seeing the enormity and diversity of that district, I, I don't mean geographic enormity, but the amazing and cool things that actually are in every district of our country. These itineraries are not that difficult to put together because it's, it's really a matter of how do you eliminate because there's so many different things that you could take these people to see. And so there is this wow factor that occurs um, when a member goes to visit another member and sees things and learns things that they never would have had the opportunity to do before. They would not have gotten this just by reading a report from the Congressional Research. But they actually go to the place and talk with the people in that manufacturing facility or in that national park or in that social and human service. Those are very special conversations. Can I give you an example of one of the trips? Because it really stands out, and it's actually the last one that, that we did back in, in September with Congressman Steve Womack, conservative Republican from the northwest corner of Arkansas, so think Bentonville, where Walmart is headquartered. And he went to visit Derek Kilmer, who's a moderate Democrat from the Olympic Peninsula of Washington State. These two guys did not know each other very well. They weren't strangers, but they hadn't really developed any kind of a relationship. So when you look at Congressman Kilmer's 6th Congressional District in Washington State, you see immediately that 25% of that district, roughly, is actually Olympic National Park. We had to start the (laughs) trip in the National Park because if you're a congressman from Arkansas, with the exception of the tiny Hot Springs National Park, they don't really have major national parks in Arkansas. And he had never been to one of the Crown Jewel National Parks before, Womack had never been. So we started there, we met with the Assistant Superintendent of Olympic National Park, and we talked about how do you balance a million visitors a year with environmental considerations. We then went to see a Native American tribe at their tribal center because Kilmer has six Native American uh, reservations in his district. They took us to see the site of the largest dam removal ever in the United States on the lower Elwha River, which has now been turned into stored salmon habitat. We then ended the day at the Boeing assembly plant, where we saw the design and the manufacturing in what is arguably the largest industrial building in the world, 747s and 767s and Dreamliners coming down the assembly line. The next day, we went to the port of Tacoma, which is the fourth largest port in the country. We took Congressman Womack up in a grandy crane, 17 stories high, overlooking the port. What Womack saw before his eyes was the entire supply chain of ships coming mainly from Asia, filled with product, some of which will end up on the shelves of Walmart, as I said, headquartered in his district. The container being put on trains and trucks, some of those trucks being the J.B. Hunt Company, which is also headquartered, one of the largest trucking firms in the There it was, the whole supply chain before his eyes. He couldn't believe it. We get in the car 10 minutes later, and he's on the phone to Mrs. Hunt of the J.B. Hunt Company saying, this is incredible. He said, when I bring Kilmer down to 
to my district in Arkansas, we've got to go to your headquarters so that you can talk about the logistics and the fleet services of the J.B. Hunt Company. And then from there, we went to a, a sawmill, because when you're in the Northwest, you've got to understand the timber industry, and we finished at the Bremerton Naval Shipyard. That was all in about 48 hours. These trips are not junkets. They are exhaustive, but in the most positive sense, so that by the time the two members finish, they really have seen a tremendous amount and have so much to talk about and engage one another on. Hmm. You look at studies about what people think about Congress at a whole, the approval rating of Congress, and it's, it's an abysmal disaster. But then you look at the approval rating of a person's personal member of Congress, and it's a, it's a massive shift. So, the, right. so it, it doesn't add up, it doesn't match up properly. And so I think that we, you know, we, we create gridlock in a system, but we create respect and an approval of a human and a human being's small role within a huge bureaucratic institution. But if we can start to bridge the gap and make more human relationships that last, that we can see and understand, hopefully that will move the needle a little bit because my goodness, do we need it. Right. And, you know, also when, when you think about it, the United States Congress as an institution, as an organization, is a pretty difficult human resource challenge. We sometimes kid and we say this American Congressional Exchange is really like an HR project because if Congress were a corporation of 435 employees, they would have an HR department, right? And the HR department would do things like training and get them mission driven and but Congress isn't a corporation. It's 435 individuals with their own ambitions, their own interests. And, and think about this. Every two years, suddenly there is a changeover where 15 to 20%, sometimes even 25% of the members of Congress are new. Imagine if you were a company and suddenly in one fell swoop, boom, 20% of your employees left and they were replaced the next day by 20% new people. Mm. <laughs> pretty mm-hmm. hard to immediately integrate those people into your systems, into your culture, and get them working together. That is the baseline for how our Congress operates. It's, it's not, they're not naturally inclined to all suddenly start working together. In fact, they all come from different places with different experiences, with different opinions. They're not necessarily all beholden to this new company that they now work for. Right. I do think having changeover, having new perspectives, new ideas in the Congress is something our founders envisioned. If you think about it in terms of the functioning of of a company or really any other organization out there, it is a big shift and the onboarding process for new members is, is extensive and something I worked on a little bit over the years to integrate people into the new environment is, is an uphill battle. And I think right now with such a divisive climate, it's all the more challenging because people are entering Congress with emotions that are very high and to get things done, to really get things done, you have to work together. You have to make concessions. And as, as you have pointed out in the past, any lasting significant policy change that's been enacted in the country was enacted with, with bipartisan support. So, right. you know. Right. It, our country was not designed, or our, our system, congressional system was not designed for one party just to be able to slam through legislation. So anything that's significant, go back to the the Bretton Woods Agreement, to the establishment of the Social Security Act in 1935, the National Highway Defense Act in 1950, the National Civil Rights Act, the Wilderness Act, 
the Chemical Safety Act a few years ago, all of those were done on a bipartisan basis. So for it to be lasting or legislation to be significant, sure, you can pass, you know, simple measures or minor pieces of legislation like naming a post office. <laughs> but if you're going to do something really important, it has to be done on a bipartisan basis. Hopefully ACE will play its part with that big, hairy, audacious goal. Jonathan, as, as we close the conversation, I like to ask all of our guests, what are you most optimistic about right here, right now, today? I, I think that, you know, with the success that we had in the first year with the Congressional Exchange, and granted, we only affected 12 members of Congress, and now we're going to affect another 30 or 40 members. Our hope is, as we grow this, and I'm very optimistic about it, that two years from now, say, if we will have impacted, say, 100 members, you know, nearly a quarter of the Congress, and I think we can really start to see some, some real change in the culture and the way that they develop relationships and work together. It is an incremental approach to fixing Congress, because these are all one-on-one -on -one trips. So it's not something we're expecting to happen overnight. We need to have a lot of patience with this, but we think it's a great tool and a wonderful way for members of Congress to not only learn about one another, but to better understand the complexity of our country and what each district has to offer and what it brings to our uh, nation. It has been a pleasure speaking with you. I think you are proof that one person with an idea and the willingness to work hard to bring it to life really can move the needle in our country today. I would encourage listeners to simply go to the Google the American Congressional Exchange or the Bipartisan Policy Center and look at that segment of uh, the website. We have videos of each of the trips and more that you can learn about the great program. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jonathan. Thank you, Andre.